this week's edition of Drilling Deep. I am John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the podcast, the part of Freightways Freightcast, where we talk about oil, we talk about diesel, and we talk about whatever else we want to talk about. Today, we're going to talk to Rob Mosley of the law firm of Mosley Marciniak, based in Greenville, South Carolina. Rob is a lawyer who represents trucking companies, and as you can imagine, he's got a lot of thoughts about the nuclear verdicts that have been hitting trucking companies of late, driving up insurance costs, and sending some trucking companies out of business. We're going to talk to him in a few minutes. But first, we've got some good news for the trucking community. The price of diesel is down, the inventories of diesel in the U.S. are up, and the forecast for higher prices as a result of IMO 2020 are looking way, way off the mark. You know, when you're talking about a weak diesel market, it's important to note that we're talking about how diesel is doing relative to crude. Ultimately, the price you pay for diesel is going to mostly be a function of crude. If crude is $40 a barrel, you're not going to be paying $4 per gallon for diesel. So keep that in mind. But by every measure, diesel is weak relative to crude. A simple spread between the front-month Brent contract on the CME exchange and the front-month ultra-low sulfur diesel contract is down to levels not seen since May. The spread is down as much as $5 or more per barrel from where they were in September when people were looking at those spreads and they were starting to think, ah, you know what? This looks like the first signs of IMO 2020 having its impact on the diesel market. That turned out to be some giant, massive head fake. We've now got U.S. diesel inventories, actually all distillate inventories, which includes jet fuel and includes heating oil, but um, it's mostly diesel. Uh, Those inventories are starting to get back to normal. Normal in oil markets, when you talk about inventories, is where they are relative to an average of of that same week on the calendar for the five prior years. We're almost there now. They've built from being significantly below the five-year average, and they're now clearly adequate to demand. So it, it it's not particularly easy to see how things change that fast. It's been very incremental. There's been no surge in refinery operations. Uh, they've climbed. Those rates have pretty much climbed as you would expect them to coming out of a heavy maintenance season that we had in the uh, in the fall. A lot, of course, a lot of that maintenance was being done to get ready for IMO 2020. Uh, demand hasn't been great, but it hasn't collapsed either. The numbers on imports and exports aren't enormously different than where you would expect them to be at this time. So it's been a little bit here, a little bit there. And the end result is that inventories in the U.S. have soared and the price of diesel is way down. So from the perspective of truckers, they are getting a break on prices. You know, it's always frustrating if you're a gasoline, diesel or gasoline or diesel buyer. And let's face it, that's pretty much everybody. And you don't see any downward movement in prices, even as you're hearing that they're declining on the commodity markets. We can talk about the reasons for that some other time. It's really, it's a long discussion. But the reality is that the price of ULSD on CME is down about 20 cents since the start of the year. And the retail price of diesel is now only starting to catch up. Based on Sonar's DTS.USA data series on Monday, it had dropped about 6 cents since January 6th. Of course, there's an upside to that for truckers who are pricing based on the DOE EIA retail price. That price has only moved down slightly. So what happens is that the fuel surcharges are based on that very slowly falling price. There's always a delay, obviously, because that price only comes out once a week. And, you know, you get a little bit of a gap there. And so it does create some short-term advantages. Of course, what the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away too. And when prices are rising, you get the reverse situation, and that isn't good. But for now, we've got a a very good situation for for drivers who are buying diesel. So the main point here is that for now, 
the big IMO 2020 related surge in diesel prices is absolutely nowhere to be seen. There's lots of inventory. Refiners have room to pump out more there. It's not like they're at 100% of capacity. Uh, trucking rates are rising somewhat and diesel prices are falling. And that is a very nice combination if you are behind the wheel. Okay, let's turn our attention over now to something. This is kind of bad news for drivers. We just had some good news for drivers talking about cheap diesel and the the, supl- the surplus of diesel that's in the market. But we're going to talk about something that's become such an enormous factor that I think it's impacting capacity. I think a lot of people do. And we're talking about the nuclear verdicts against truck companies that have at times exceeded $100 million. And they regularly now seem to be coming in the $30, $40, $50 million range. It's sending insurance prices soaring. And it's become a factor in some of the trucking companies that we've seen shutting down. Rob Mosley is one of the founding partners of the Mosley Marciniak Law Group based in Greenville, South Carolina. He's been an attorney representing truck companies in this litigation for years. I interviewed him about truck safety and litigation at the Smart Drive Users Conference in Atlanta last June. And he's going to join us here today on Drilling Deep. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So what happened? It's, it's almost like somebody just flipped a switch and verdicts started to soar? Or maybe are we suffering from short-term memory? We've been through this before. There's cycles. Or do you really feel like there's something different here? No, I definitely think there's something different here. I think there's a, there's a, a, a shift change here in, in what, we're, what we're looking at. And, and it really, like you said, it was, it was like somebody flipped a switch in 2011. And uh, from that point forward, we've really seen uh, the the verdicts be ratcheted up in terms of uh, severity and and the number of large verdicts. All right. So what are some of the, the biggest ones that you've seen? I know we, there's been a lot of coverage, but what are the ones that really kind of made your eyes pop out of your head? Well, I think the, the, the biggest one that I've seen was $280 million in Columbus, Georgia, um, in, a, in a, a death case there in, involving a, uh, a steel hauler. Um, so, uh, but, but there've been some big ones in Texas and Texas and New Mexico as well. So, uh, there've been a couple out there that rivaled that one, uh, in terms of sheer numbers. Is distracted driving playing a role here? You can prove distracted driving in some cases. There are records that a driver might've been texting at the time of an accident. Does that, is that a factor here? You know, I, I th- the only case that I'm aware of that is that falls into this category where distracted driving was was really a, an issue was a a case in in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, where there was some allegation of a driver being on a phone. Um, but the uh, for the most part, these verdicts have not involved uh, anything necessarily egregious. Um, but I'll, but I'll tell you what, it, it's not typically what the driver does. It's what the trucking company's doing that, that makes the jury, uh, mad and gets them, gets them off kilter. So can you give us an example where the trucking companies may have taken some actions that I can't say that led to the accidents, but certainly look bad in retrospect after the accident? Yeah. You know, I, I think that juries look at drivers and, and generally will give the driver the benefit of the doubt. Um, it's, it's, you know, everybody's got friends or relatives that, that are truck drivers. And so, uh, they will tend to look pretty favorably on, uh, a driver who has, you know, a, a terribly hard job of, 
you know, being being 100 percent for you know 11 hours a day. Um, but but when there's a trucking company in the background that's making, um, you know, typically what they'll argue is that, um, you know, there was a, a Texas case where they argued that, um, you know, the driver wasn't properly trained. Um, and, and, and almost the, the, one of the concepts, one of the things that they'll try to do is make the driver out to be the second victim of the accident and that the, uh, the driver is the, um, the victim of the, the trucking company employer, um, in not, uh, not training, not, you know, not properly, uh, uh, vetting the drivers, you know, putting basically putting the driver into a position that you know the driver doesn't shouldn't be in. Um, but you know, the, the there was a the, the Houston verdict that uh, was was very large and involved the uh, um, a, a driver uh, trainer who was actually uh, in the uh, the driver trainer was in the uh, uh, in the sleeper berth rather than sitting next to the driver and actively training. And, and, uh, even though that, I mean, that, that verdict involved a truck, a, a car that lost control and came across the median hitting the truck head on, um, you know, which would seem to be a no liability type accident. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that the, the trucking company didn't have a policy for, uh, putting the, making sure that the, the trainer was actually in the seat and, and actively training, um, uh, is, is what seemed to make that case go off the rails. Yeah, that seems like such a no-brainer. Are you finding, though, that these verdicts then have, have caught your client's attention, that they're changing their policies to make sure they protect themselves against being caught in a trap like that? I hate to say a trap, but being caught in that kind of a situation? Yeah, I mean, it's cert- certainly uh, the trucking companies are paying a little more attention to um, some of the details in the background. I think that the uh, the C-suite and the trucking companies are are uh, uh, a little more alert to those types of issues. But the uh, uh, but but I've also seen uh, uh, some small and mid-sized trucking companies that have said, "Hey." Um, this is not the environment we want to be in and they're closing the doors or selling out. Yeah. Cause it's easy to say, well, they should just train better. But uh, if you're small, you're, you're deal- not dealing with a, a lot of capital here. You're dealing with tight margins and maybe to go to a kind of a full blown class, a type of training program, it sounds like it should be the right thing to do, but it's expensive. It is. It, it's expensive. And, and uh, you know, it, it, the a jury doesn't, take well to when you argue about how, how much something costs when you're talking about their safety on the roadway. And, um, and so that's, that's not really the argument you want to be making in those, in those types of cases. How does this trend impact efforts to settle a case? Does it, does it make a, let's say a, a plaintiff a little more desirous to go to, uh, to to go to a jury verdict because there might be really big money out there, a lot bigger than you get in a settlement. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're seeing a uh, a generation of lawyers um, that are willing to what what I would say swing for the fence, and you know, where, whereas you know, ten years ago they might have uh, sat down at mediation with you and tried to settle the case today. 
what we're seeing is is uh uh you know I'm, I've, I've been sitting in mediations where the lawyer on the other side says you know you've you've offered a fair amount to settle the case but we're not going to take it we're going to go to trial Okay. Now, you've been a big advocate of cameras in the cab as a way of defending a trucking company. As you look over some of the big verdicts that are out there, do you think some of them might have been smaller if there was a camera in play? Well, I think that the uh, yes, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the cameras, um, and, and 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 part of the reason for that is is uh, um, you know the 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 science tells us that. Um, uh, uh, the the commercial vehicle uh, involved in an accident with a non-commercial vehicle is only at fault about 15 to 20 percent of the time. And and so we need to do a better job of capturing uh, the 80 percent of the cases where we're not at fault um, and make sure that we've got uh, the ammunition we need to fight these cases. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that you know, typically our, our, our truck drivers, uh, may not be their best witness, um, that in these cases and, and, and it's, it's, it's nothing, uh, negative against the truck driver. It's a, um, it's that, uh, you know, in the heat of the moment and, and, and with all the things going on, um, it's, it's tough to really, uh, you know, people people are just bad witnesses in general when it comes to um, what they see in a high tension, high pressure situation, right. and and so we 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 tend not to be good uh, record keepers or document you know, documentation of what actually happened out there on the roadway, and so the cameras do that for you, and the cameras often pick up things that you know a, a driver wouldn't see. Uh, or, or, you know, things, things of that nature. So, um, and, and, and so, and, and then the, the, the response I always get is, well, what about the, uh, cases where we know we're at fault? And, and my response to that is that, uh, um, you know, we've got to, um, in the cases where we think we're at fault, let's let's figure that out early on and get that case resolved before, you know, they get to a lot of times they get to a lawyer that you can work with early on. And, and it's that lawyer that brings in another more seasoned, more more truck savvy lawyer. Um, and if you can keep them from getting to that second lawyer, you can uh, you can maybe have an opportunity to resolve the matter. Uh, before it gets serious. Yeah. You know, you, going back to the cameras question, I couldn't help but think, you know, you talked about the fact that uh, going to like a class A training within a small company is expensive. Cameras are expensive. This is the kind of thing that, you know, could be tipping companies over the edge and saying, look, we just can't operate under this cost structure. Maybe it's necessary to protect ourselves, but we simply cannot do it. Well, and, uh, you know, um, Right now, the cameras are not required. Um, you know, I, I think somewhere down the line, cameras probably will be required um, in terms of, you know, it's like the airplane uh, you know, black box. I mean, um, there's, you know, the uh, there's there's a point where somebody's going to say we really need this data um, to try to 
figure out why people are still dying on the highways. And, and, um, but you know, what I, what I always tell the, uh, the motor carriers is that the cameras will pay for themselves. Um, you, you don't have to worry about the financial impact of the cameras. They, they will absolutely pay for themselves. Um, the, the, what, and, and I'm talking about the, the physical, physical cameras themselves. Um, what the cameras do is put an obligation on the trucking company to actually pay attention to what happens on the roadway with those cameras. And that's where there's some additional expense uh, in that process. You know, I want to go back to your point earlier about sometimes uh, settling out of court enables the uh, enables the or stops the company from going to a or the plaintiff from going to a second lawyer. And my colleague Seth Holm of uh, Freightways Research recently did a piece on nuclear verdicts, and he wrote the following regarding plaintiff strategy. The overriding conclusion that I found in my research is that plaintiff lawyers are much better connected and collaborate to a much higher degree than their defense counterparts. That's a pretty strong statement, but do you think it's accurate? Oh, I definitely think it's accurate. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, when, when I'm in a case uh, and I've, I've had a case, I've had a couple of cases going on at the same time where I have known that the lawyers on the other side of two separate cases were talking to each other. And they they would uh, share their insight on my trial strategies and things of that nature. Uh, and so, you know, literally they would be talking to each other um, every day, every week about you know, what what did he do here? What did he do in response to this? Um, and, and so there was basically real time sharing of information. But there's also... Um, uh, a lot of uh, they, they, you know, generally they participate in a listserv. Um, I don't know if that's the name of the technology today. We, we get it, <laughs> yeah, but they're they're uh, they're pretty quick to know. Um, and and one of the things that that has happened as a result of that is if if somebody, um, you know, let's say I'm defending a trucking company and my safety director gets deposed, well. Uh, every time there's another accident down the road, everybody who uh, sues that same trucking company is going to have a copy of that deposition of the safety director from the previous case um, because they share that kind of information. Right, let me ask you, what are the insurance companies thinking these days? I'm sure you deal with a lot of them. Are they just kind of little shell-shocked over this? And are they taking any steps to deal with it other than just raising rates? Well, you know, I think I think that you're seeing um, uh, for years some of the more sophisticated uh, truck insurers have been actively involved in their um, uh, motor carriers safety departments. So you, you've seen that they they would, you know, pay periodic visits and say, hey, uh, we're here to help and, and, and try to uh, assist those companies. Uh, you would also see today uh, more technology involvement, and you see some of the insurance companies giving discounts for the cameras or even subsidizing the cameras. <clears throat> uh, there's one one insurance company out there is 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 re- is requiring cameras for certain fleets, and and not only requiring that the motor carrier have the camera, but but that those um, videos actually be 
uh, available for the, 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 the insurance company on a real time basis. So uh, if the if the insurance company wants to look at those videos, they're allowed to look at it. And then, uh, yeah, I know a, a startup insurance company that is has is, uh, uh, is is moving towards the high tech. And uh, it's it's almost like a, um, you know, you've seen the progressive snapshot and, you know, those types of devices that are on uh, passenger vehicles. You're seeing you're seeing at least one uh, uh, motor carrier insurer out there that's requiring that same type of data um, and basing your insurance premium on uh how well your drivers are performing on the road uh, almost on a real-time basis i'm going to ask one final question here uh how big a capacity killer is this i think everybody is agreeing by now that the higher insurance rates that are coming as a result of the nuclear verdicts are certainly been a factor in some companies shutting their doors uh is it uh, significant in your view and do you expect it to continue um you know what what i'm seeing is uh, you know, I, there are those there are those uh, trucking companies that are hanging it up and saying we we've had enough. Uh, they're selling out. Uh, I think those are those are definitely the minority. Uh, but what we are seeing is uh, companies that are saying, you know, I had ten million insurance in insurance last year um, uh, with no deductible. Um, and now I'm going to have five million in insurance and a fifty thousand dollar deductible. That's um, a significant change because because that's a um, you know that's that's the cost equivalent of what what they're getting what they got last year versus what they got this year. You know they're getting half the coverage um, that they had last year for the same price. So um, we're seeing people take on higher deductibles. Uh, look at look at entering into captive insurance arrangements, um, and 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 having uh, lower excess limits in order to contain the cost. Well, we want to thank Rob Mosley of the Mosley Marciniak Law Group in Greenville, South Carolina, for joining us today here on Drilling Deep. And we want to thank all of our listeners out there for tuning in. We are part of the Freightways Freightcast series. Please join us again on Drilling Deep.